here, listeners, and Dean, I am so bagged. Dean, how about you? Yes, I feel the baggage. Oh, my God. We just spent uh, two days doing the first ever Whitby Girls Hockey Association Coach Conference, along with uh, Vic Mercer and, or sorry, Vic Chason. That shows you how tired I am. It's Vic Chason and Jim Mercer and Jen Wakefield uh, brought up the end of the uh, the clinic on uh, Sunday afternoon. And uh, I've been doing nothing but napping ever since. What with the preparation and setting it up and carrying stuff into and out of Whitney Hall at, at the Iroquois Park Sports Centre. But uh, overall, Dean, would you say it uh, went sort of, kind of well? Well, yeah, I think people don't realize how much prior planning and preparation go into an event like this and all the administrative duties that you have to do on the back end. And it's like an iceberg and nobody sees under the water. And people just see us show up. Um, you know, they walk in five minutes in advance, everything's set up, away we go, they leave. And, you know, you and I were there a couple hours early getting things set up. And then at the conclusion, we're tearing things down. And it is, it's exhausting. But I'll tell you, and, you know, both of us and the other presenters put in, it's not just the time and the effort, but it's an emotional investment into trying to share our knowledge with these other coaches to try to make a better environment for the players. And I, I don't think we'll really know until probably the fall, or I certainly won't really know till the fall, uh, how much of this really worked. Like Vic was asking me at lunch on, um, was it Sunday? I think, what day is it today? <laughs> today it's, <laughs> it's Monday. Uh, he was asking me at lunch on Monday at Boston Pizza in the Iroquois Park Sports Center. He says, so what were your expectations? And I said, well, initially I thought if I could get 12 to 15 coaches, we'd be doing well. We ended up getting 36 who registered for it. Six of them had to cancel out at the last minute for various reasons. We ended up with 30, some of whom were going in and out over the course of the two days because of other commitments. So basically 30 coaches were involved. Every team but one was represented. But it was a matter of how, how do we get this message across about how to change our approach and, and practices. And I think for me, that was the emotional investment. I want so badly to make this work next season. And I think, you know, the theme of the practice from, from start to finish, we, we really tried to work together on, on the overall themes and what you're trying to accomplish and, and elevate the culture and the environmental change that needs to happen here. And um, uh, Jeff Webb, uh, I believe is his name. He's on the board. I got to meet Jeff. He's just exceptional. It's really good to see people like that that are not only volunteering their time to coach their their kids but also then to spend the time and do a lot of the heavy lifting again the big chunk of the iceberg that's not seen is the the work you do on the board and every board needs people like Jeff Webb to step up and you know do a lot of the heavy lifting and I think that the whole theme of the conference from start to finish um, I think the first day what was the, the theme was... Um, let's open the parachutes. Let's open the parachutes. And you used an excellent metaphor there with those kids' parachutes in the grab bags. It was awesome. And then the, the, the second day was fun, learn, and return. And ultimately, we're talking about change. We're talking about changing the culture of everything. 
as well as you know culture as so far as the association goes and and raising the level of expectation and delivery within the the the, the association and we're we're doing that with the coaches in mind and trying to uh, help provide them with the resources to make the best possible scenario for the girls that play. So, you know, it's it's a big task. And like you say, we, we might have to wait until the fall to start to see the fruits of the labor. But I, I think there's a lot of important work done here on the weekend. We're, we're recording this on Monday afternoon about 4.30 and I have an open house. I invited all the coaches who attended the conference and the presenters to come over to uh, my spacious and capacious uh, gazebo in the backyard for an adult beverage this evening between seven o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll see how many show up. And I'm hoping to interview a few people who were there uh, at the conference to find out their thoughts and, and what they feel they can em- employ. And I guess the challenge for any minor hockey organization, and this is not the first time I've done this, the challenge for any minor hockey organization is to reflect on what they've been doing or, or rather to have the right people reflect on what they've been doing and what do they feel they need to do to improve and how do they go about it, doing it. That's a real challenge. So, I mean, in my case, as I put on my, my slides on uh, Saturday when I was doing a reflection of, uh, of my observations from the year, I attended probably 300 or more practices and games right through to the, uh, uh, to the tryouts in April. That's an awful lot of practices and games to watch. And I don't know too many associations that would have people who would spend that much time in a rink. And no, I'm not a volunteer, but still in all, um, it's, it's a lot to absorb and then a lot to um, sift through to find out the, the kernels of, of structure that need to be addressed and the approaches that need to be addressed. Well, you do need to pay for the capacious gazebo, so those hours that you put in, you know, help help afford that um, lifestyle. So, yeah, and you know, it, it is a lot of hours. And, um, you know, coming through the pandemic and COVID and um, at times where the season gets shut down, you're online, you're Zooming, you know, you can watch from afar, maybe you can't interact personally, uh, maybe the coaches can't interact personally with the players, I mean... There's been a lot of challenges over the last couple of years. So um, it's like there's that extra extra adversity right off the bat that's been occurring for a couple of years. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how things move forward here now that hopefully there's some sense of normalcy returning into the world. And um, like I say, I, I'm curious to hear what these coaches are going to say too, um, what their thoughts are about about the weekend. I don't know about you, Dean, but I'm my own worst enemy when I coach or teach or present. And, and looking at the, uh, the content on Saturday, which in my presentations was about an, my observations from the year and what was the lens that I was looking through when I was watching practices, mostly practices, not as many games, probably four to one, five to one practices to games. <clears throat> and then on Sunday trying to deliver a message to the coaches after you had presented your stuff on, on Saturday on the ice and, and um, in the room, trying to deliver to the coaches some ideas on what we need to do to get better. And that will remain up in the air until well into the fall, I, I think. 
Well, and I think that, um, you know, we are our own worst critics and it's not a bad thing, but, you know, we just have to, um, you know, ask for feedback and try and get better. We're, we're not perfect. And, and I know you're going to put out a short survey to the coaches that were in attendance and try and get some honest input back there. And, and that's always appreciated. Um, we talked about the concept of being a critical friend where, you know, you are trying to speak from a position of honesty and not with the intent of hurting somebody's feelings, but of trying to give them, you know, the honest insights so they can make some changes. And I know when I was delivering my stuff, I just basically gave an overview of my coaching pathway for the last 35 years. And, and I was trying to be as honest as I could about what kind of a coach I was and what I did. And I wasn't, I wasn't telling anybody directly to change or if you don't do this, I won't be your friend and we're not going to be like-minded individuals. It's just, this is my path for better or for worse. Steal what you want out of it and try what you want and experiment with it yourself because everybody has their own path to take and their own choices to make. And hopefully people can learn from my mistakes and failures along the way and whatever path they choose um, that they're open-minded and they are going to try new stuff and try to get better because ultimately it, it's about making yourself better. But again, it comes back to the kids that we're coaching and trying to do the best we can for them. Well, Dean, at the risk of floating your boat and, and swelling your head any more than it already is, a key component of this conference was to expose them to your ideas on small area games, small space games, uh, how to make gameplay an integral part of our practices. And I know that your approach would have them spend the vast majority, if not all, of practices doing small area game type stuff. And as we had discussed so often, to try to sell that to coaches who have never seen it before, have never read about it before, have never been exposed to it before, don't know what Teaching Games for Understanding or TGFU uh, is all about that that's a tough sell and they have to sell it to their coaching staffs and they have to sell it to their parents as well so um i i had to take a little bit of a, a happy median here but you know when i look at the agenda that i created um it was all to identify the kinds of things and change that that we want to address because they're important so when i started my um uh, my topic on Saturday about perceptions, perspectives, and observations. And as I said, I'm looking at it through a different lens than, than perhaps they are, um, that I wanted them to, to get a sense of here's, here's what we do. And I included videos and some of them were a little bit shocking in, in terms of the skill level that you could see and give them some ideas on th that girls hockey is good hockey, but it is still well below the level of the same age of boys and that the comparison just doesn't work. And you you recall, Dean, the example I led off with about the Drumheller Dragons Junior A team in Alberta that beat the crap out of our <laughs> Olympic women's team uh, eight to nothing in October in, the, in their third straight loss to a Junior A team. And keep it in perspective that the average age of this junior A team in Drumheller is like 18 and a half. And the average age of the women's team is mid to late 20s. And our, and our women who won the world gold 
you know, could not beat a junior A team in Alberta. So it was important for that for that perspective to to strike a chord. I don't know if it did. I'm curious to ask coaches if if they get it. Some of them have coached on the boys' side as well, but they still think that they're coaching on the boys' side when they're coaching the girls. Mm. That they're these girls are in terms of skill level and knowledge of the game, or as one coach sitting at the back of the room, Ryan said, I'm not going to say his last name. He said, well, you know, the boys go out and fiddle around with pucks and try to flip them and do toe drags and all kind of stuff. And the girls don't do any of that ever. And my response is, well, let's give them the opportunity. Let's see if if we can uh, enable them through directed free play to try some of that stuff. Yeah, and I think in the past, you know, before this season, the women were pre- preparing um, mainly versus midget AAA teams in the Alberta Major Midget Hockey League, and they were uh, embedded within that league for that season, meaning the games were worth points for the midget teams. And I think they split it this year. I think they did some of that with the midgets in Alberta, and then they played, you know, AJHL, BCHL teams. Um, as part of it too, and and I think you know it's a it's a valuable um, comparison to try to frame the level of play of the absolute best female athletes in the world. What does that look like when we try to because we're comparing apples to oranges, but we're trying to bring it home for the coaches that are working with the girls in WGHA. I'm going to interject here on one thing. I think it was a couple of years ago, John McEnroe, who's a very well-known, you know, tennis player and as well as broadcaster. And somebody asked him on air about the best women in the world and where they would rank versus the men. And he said something like, oh, maybe 450th in the world on the men's side. And they were so insulted and it caused a firestorm among, among the women. And, and, he made a point. He said, have you really watched the power and strength of the men where they're hitting balls at 200 kilometers an hour on their serves and the women are struggling to do 120 kilometers on a serve? That doesn't denigrate the quality of their play. It just says that is the difference between men and women. Even in marathons, the men are doing, you know, the, women, the men who win are doing 202 or 203, 204, and the women are doing five, six minutes slower which is enormous in a marathon. Yeah, and you're right. And it's not, again, it's just to try to act as a placeholder and and so people get an idea. Because if you said some of the people coaching in your association have have coached boys and girls, and some of them haven't, they're only coaching the girls. And so there's no, like that perspective then is, is, is limited in some and, and it's wider in others. And I mean, I watched the national uh, U18 uh, boys and girls um, playoffs, like the round robin tournament in Okotoks, Alberta, a week and a half, two weeks ago. And I watched the final game of the women's final, and I watched several of the the guys' games, including the final. Um, Many games went into overtime, or a few did anyway. Um, You know, and it's a long, grueling week. There's no breaks. But I know I was personally shocked to see, just to compare it for myself, to see the right almost back-to-back, the level of midget AAA women, or U18, I guess, 
and U18 boys back to back. And it's, it's night and day, like the time and space available on the women's side compared to the men's side. I mean, it, you know, and then the skill level, the tactical understanding. I mean, they're, they're two completely, well, and they're not different games, but there's, there's a big gap. And, and then you take that team that won and you compare them to club teams that didn't make national finals. Maybe they don't have the number of girls in their association. It's like taking Finland and comparing them to other countries. And how can they stay competitive in the top tier of international ranking? And how can Finland and Sweden and Slovakia and nations like that in the top tier go up against Canada, USA, Russia, that have vast numbers of people and rinks and officials and infrastructure. It's endemic in the cultures in those countries. And then you get these little small places trying to compete. And so it's no different here with Whitby Association. You've got certain constraints and affordances, and you actually end up competing against every association in Canada. And you're hoping that you're going to be that destination association over time and you've mentioned it in a couple of times in the weekend presentation that that's one of the goals is to make Whitby the destination of choice and I just think that it's a valuable point of reference for the people that are coaching within and or parenting or just listening that you know you've got to take all these things into consideration and it kind of gives you a relative idea of the pecking order and how difficult a job it is. And the idea has never been, nor will it be, to try to get the girls' game in Whitby or anywhere else on a par with the boys. That is not possible. It's not realistic. And it's not right. The idea is to make the program as good as we can get it to provide them the right kinds of uh, leadership and training and teaching and feedback that will enable the program and will enable the coaches, of course, first, and then the girls to, to grow and become uh, as good as they can possibly be. <clears throat> to reach that objective requires a lot of thought, well, critical thought, a lot of reflection, uh, a lot of understanding of what goes into uh, training, practices, coaching, teaching, that we where we have to throw certain ideas out the window whether we're dealing with girls or boys it doesn't matter the you know, like the when we had rob gray on and he was talking about you know the soccer around the pylons and you're putting your right foot to left foot go around the pylon those are boys but it's no different for the girls mm -hmm. the girls will be slower perhaps they won't be as strong perhaps but that's not the point well, the, the the point is like you said we're we're looking at how do we make um, coaching here into a best practices model and give every opportunity to the people that are participating here to have the best experience they possibly can? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Daniel Coyle's book, like the, the, the Talent Code, one of the original books, he talks about how a lot of the talent hotbeds are not necessarily in places that you might expect, and they're not necessarily the high money, fancy, latest and greatest everything and the best of everything. 
They're tiny, dingy, dark, dimly lit crap holes that a lot of people probably wouldn't choose as their first to 400th um, choice. But the, the thing that separates the, the, those talent hotbeds from other places that are probably, you know, better funded and shiny and new and squeaky clean and sexy and fashionable and easily recruited to are the people. And what I've learned through my life is people make a difference. And people that are in charge of other people need to recognize they need to invest in their people. They need to train their people. They need to provide opportunities. They need to allow for mistakes. They need to communicate. There's a whole list of things. And I think like this this conference and then the stuff that you've been sending out in the past, like, you know, I, I get some of the stuff you send too, like, you know, the emails and the, the reading suggestions, the podcast stuff, the documents. Um, I mean, you're trying to invest back into the coaches. And for me, working as a coach developer and, and kind of looking at that part of my career for the last 10 or 15 years, it is so important to build the capacity and the people you have and focus on that because when you invest the money and the time and the relationships into the people like your coaches those are the people that have the most direct impact on the people they're working with it's the most efficient and and economical way to impact change is to go after the coaches and grow them if you go after on the player development side just try to grow players and not worry so much about the coaches. It's a huge, it's a huge bottom-up thing, and I don't, I just, you're not going to get the bang for the buck. And time is your enemy. Uh, you really need to focus on the coaches, and I'm really glad to see that that's what you're doing. So let's take a pause here, Dean, for station identification. You're listening to Grassroots, the Minor Hockey Show podcast. I'm Richard Burkison with uh, Dean Holden. We're sitting side by each, like the bacon on the pan. In my office in uh, Whitby, Ontario, talking about the uh, the weekend coaching conference that uh, the first Whitby girls coaching conference that's ever been held, and looking at uh, what we reflect on it, and we will hopefully get some uh, feedback from other coaches as well. Shortly after Dean and I recorded that opening. Vic Chiesa and Jim Mercer came over to my house to the uh, gazebo in the backyard and in a uh, protected from the driving rain that was falling outside we had a couple of beers and rehashed what happened over the course of the weekend whether it went in the right direction or not and what follows here are the comments from first Vic and then Jim about what they observed over the course of the weekend. Oh I'm supposed to talk now. Yes. Okay. I can cut that out. Yeah. You set this up with your remarks on both Saturday and Sunday morning, right? You set your vision. This is where we want to go. We want to be the destination program. And you followed that up with the discussion. You also said the first morning, setting the stage for what came for the next two days, open parachute. This is what a coach should be looking for and expecting. And I know you didn't use the term toolbox. But Jim and I threw it out a lot, and then I noticed both you and Dean using that term. So the the coaches that were present had the opportunity to understand, I'm here 
I've got a coaching toolbox, and things are being added to it. And everybody sort of funneled into it. So from that perspective, I thought it was very productive, very influential start to what technically is going to be your year one going forward. Let's face it, you, when you became technical director, COVID was the, the rigor. You can't advance anything. You just try to survive it. So going forward, I think you set yourself up for a really good run. How do you think coaches received the messages from that weekend from the, from the speakers overall? They were open-minded. There was a lot of good engagement in the activities of both, you know, Dean would talk about his, uh, how he wants to run on ice. They went out and they engaged in it. And you could see the wheels turning as they were coming off the ice and discussing it. So that follow-up discussion came from it. It was followed up again in the afternoon after that with Jim and I doing the culture one. The engagement in the activities that we got them involved in. You could see them, and you could see the wheels turning and the follow-up questions about, you know, okay, what if I do this? How about if I do that? So I would suggest they were thoroughly engaged. They seemed to take it all on board. And you could see in their eyes that they were thinking, okay, well, I can use that bit, your, your advice. If it doesn't work, throw it back in the toolbox. You may need it 10 years from now, which is true. So it, there was a lot of good participation from what I saw, my observations. What about, what about from the uh, presentation you and Jim uh, did? Uh, what did you gain from that to advance your program further? Honestly, not a thing. It's not going to advance our program. Our program, it, it, it's we're open to investing in your coaches to improve their cultures of their programs. But from our standpoint, business-wise, I can't see how it's of any use to us in that regard. Other than, now, Jim and I, we have had our after-activities reviews and how we can make it better as we go forward. But that's something that any time you do a presentation, you can find a way to make yeah. it better. Thanks, Vic. Thank you, Richard. Jim, when when this the first thing when this thing was first put together, and you saw the agenda, what what were your thoughts about where you thought this might be going for a girls' association? I think what impressed me most was that the whole theme of it was opening your parachute and just having a whole um, open-minded approach in moving forward. Um, you. It, the agenda itself, it covered things from Dean's presentation of, of thinking outside the box. And, uh, you know, Vic and I, we covered off on the culture side of things and and uh, how you can uh, really mold your culture so that you can create a, an environment where everybody has an opportunity to grow. And then you just, uh, with what you were speaking to, you just reinforced everything and, and, and really provided the purpose, the vision, the direction. And it's exciting. It's exciting because they have an opportunity to, to really take that uh, that concept of opening the parachute and uh, really trying to incorporate new and innovative things uh, while it complements the, the assets that they bring to the table. Now, coaches won't necessarily all buy into everything that they saw on the weekend. Agreed? Yeah, they, they don't have to buy into everything, but they could take pieces of it. And take pieces of it gives them an opportunity to, to put their little um, 
you know, approach together. And uh, it, 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 there's always going to be something that can, um, you know, accompany what they, they have in mind and, and the direction they want to go. But um, I think when we watched the way the coaches were engaging throughout the weekend, um, you know, you could see through their, you know, their reactions with the head nods and the, the raised eyebrows and taking notes and that, that uh, they're taking something from it. And, and you know, I'm sure they're going to use some of that stuff. Is there a way for this to go sideways? Why are you laughing, Jim? Well, what exactly do you mean sideways? Well, is there a way for this not to work? What happens if coaches decide after three months break between that conference and the beginning of the season where they go, you know what? No, it's not for me. Well, I mean, there, there's a possibility of that, but I think I think what we have to remember as coaches and involved in the game is we ask our athletes to be open-minded and have the open parachute concept and and really challenge themselves outside the box, and we have to do that and lead by example. And I I don't think that's going to happen in the sense of your vision and the purpose that you've laid out and what you want to do moving forward as an association. The association is obviously going to support the the innovation that's going to be there, and and I think the coaches, as much as they might start to sway at times if they do they're going to fall back in line because they're going to see how beneficial it can be and and if they have that whole um, idea of saying you know I'm a student of the game as well and I, I'm going to be able to use those pieces and and uh, take my game to the next level which is going to only support the players I, I think they're going to be all right now the presentations that uh, you and Vic did on Saturday and Sunday uh, did you reach the objectives you had set for yourselves that remains to be seen, I guess. I mean, what the, our our content and uh, and the material that we put on the table, it's it, it's vital to uh, building a culture and the culture that you've spoken to us about. What you would like to see, the you know the Whippy Girls Hockey Association uh, displaying and 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 creating that identity. I think that's possible. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a lot to take in. They, they had a, a real intense weekend as far as the material that was thrown at her with all, with at, at them, with all the, uh, the different, uh, uh, ways of doing things and and uh, whether it be something that's been done in the past or it's a new approach but if they keep in embracing uh, you know the opportunity to grow I think uh, they, they'll be able to use that stuff moving forward. Not many minor hockey associations go off in a rather different direction like this conference did. This is kind of a unique approach. Uh, is it something we should be doing more of in minor hockey? A hundred percent. I think it, I think, you know, we, we have to challenge, um, we have to challenge the way we think and the way we approach the game all the time. Again, we ask our players to do it. And if you look at the great players in the game, they're always challenging, um, you know, certain things that, uh, have always been done that way. And, um, we, we, we have to be willing to say, you know, there, there's, uh, there's always going to be different um, options or, or different approaches, and and we really have to embrace that and keep going. And for minor hockey to do that, I think it's only going to help the players involved, and, and I think it'll take the game to a new level where they get an opportunity to really um, express themselves in a new way. Thank you, sir, and you're welcome for the beer and chips. <laughs> Thanks very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know. Is that okay? That's I, well so, Dean, after hearing from uh, Jim and Vic now on their opinions on how the weekend went, the question I have as we close off this podcast and, and the season, by the way, and we'll resume in August, is, is there a way 
to measure what kind of progress a team will have for the coaches who want to try more of the game-based approach. And of course, some may try it for 10% of their practices, for 20% of their practices. There's no way of knowing. But it seems like no matter which way we look at it, it's going to be completely subjective, won't it? Yeah, it's it's going to be tough to analyze something like this scientifically and objectively. And I think you're sitting in a good position based on how much you've watched the last couple of years. So I think it, it, when you see people trying to apply it for a period of time, you will probably be the, the best judge of that. Um, I think as far as games go and seeing improvements over time um, in the past, I think you need at least half a season of consistent application. And uh, like I'm talking, you know, 50% of the time is games versus drills, like going from like zero or 10% of games to 50% or more of games over half a season. And then at that point, you might be able to make an assessment. But I think it's going to differ team to team, coach to coach, that sort of thing. I, I think I had discussed with you earlier that uh, I would love to have seen a coach who was going to throw up his hand and say, yes, I'm going to try this all season long with my team completely, mm-hmm. uh, which you would more likely hear from a tier two, three or four level team than our double A teams. Um, more likely to hear from them. So let's say a U13 double B or U15A or something. And the coach says, yeah, I, I'm going to give this a try all season long. And that would be an interesting experiment to to follow. For sure. And I think, you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. The proof will be in the pudding come the fall. It'll be interesting to get the survey out with some of those questions and see, you know, maybe people even self-identify in there and say, you know, my name's Joe Smith. I was at the conference. I really liked this piece. I want to try it. I want to have follow-up on it. I want to have mentorship on it in this area and uh, move forward with that and really make a concentrated effort. I think at this point, you know, it's June. Um, The season's over. The tryouts are over. The guys sacrificed a lot and the girls to come, you know, for the full weekend. It It was long. It was intense. We're both feeling tired and exhausted and just emotionally drained because we put everything we had into it, just like Jim and Vic did. And, um, you know, it's people want to have a break. People want to have a summer now and it's going to have to sit in their brain and kind of percolate a little bit. And then as you said, this is the last pod for the, you know, near future here and resume later on in August. And so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens and hopefully at least we've opened a little bit of the parachutes and planted a few seeds and we'll see what takes root in the fall. I'm, I'm kind of excited yeah. to see what will happen in September and October with uh, not, not the U9, U11 because they haven't even had their tryouts yet, but, but I want to see which of those coaches are willing to step into this. But I'm, I'm kind of excited to see uh, any coach who gives it a try and what they're able to do with it. And I, I would like to think that, you know, we had every team represented there except for one because the coach couldn't make it even though it registered for the, for the, for the course. Um, with every coach having attended, Every single one of them is now leaving thinking, hmm, I wonder if there's something to this. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's worth giving it a, the old college try, as they say. But anyway, we're, we're at the end of this podcast 
for this season. Uh, thanks, Dean, for being the guesting hosting uh, from Calgary and sitting side by each like the bacon on the pan where you are right now. And uh, as always, anybody who wants to reach me, it's Richard at grassrootsminorhockey.com. Uh, this is it for the 2021-22 season. And and hopefully for the Oilers too, as we'll see in overtime. <laughs> okay. Um, but as always, it won't be this summer, but in September, I will see you in a rink. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.